Hello, Regeneration. Uh, we will be looking at chapter 3 of Ephesians, verses 10 through 13 today. And before we jump into that, to give you a little bit of context, so let's do a quick review. Paul, what Paul received was by divine revelation, as we read in verse 3, and he was given a divine calling, as we see in verse 7. Paul informs us that he was made a minister of the gospel, and he's actually pretty shocked about this, which I think most ministers are because he knows who he really is. And you look at verse 8, I am the very least of all the saints. Paul knows who he is, and it was a really humbling experience for him that God chose him for this work. Paul didn't deserve to be given God's power. Again, we find this in verse 7. Nor did he do anything to earn God's grace. Find that in verse 8. And it wasn't actually anything that Paul did. It's what God did. It was by God's power and grace that Paul was called to preach to the Gentile the unsearchable riches of Christ, found in verse 8. And to bring light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? Verse 9. Something to keep in mind as we look at our scripture verses today. In order for anyone to bring light, we have to have light. And we can't bring what we don't have. God's light doesn't shine through people who have not been lit by God themselves. And this happened to Paul. In Acts chapter 26, Paul tells King Agrippa what happened to him at the road to Damascus. So let's take a look at that story in Acts 26, starting in verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint to you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In order to bring someone to light, anyone to light, the light has to be given to them by God. And like Paul, all of our eyes were once closed to the truth of God, blinded to God. And it's not until God illumines us that that we can bring light to others. By nature, we are all in darkness. We're all in need of God's light. And by nature, we are enslaved to the power of Satan to feed those wrongful appetites, and and we are in need of being freed from that bondage to receive forgiveness of sins and experience true freedom. And this is not about being spiritual. This is not about being 
better people or more moral. We can't do anything to affect eternal outcomes. Only God affects eternal outcomes. And it is only through Christ that we can have a grace-filled eternal outcome with God. The gift of having a right relationship with God is only through Christ Jesus. Paul received this gift, this gift of salvation, of being saved from darkness, set free from the power of the oppressor Satan. And with this light in Paul, he is now able to share this light to others. When we receive this light, it changes our worldview. It, it changes how we see things that are illumined with Christ, by Christ. And Jesus Christ, who is Lord, the, the ascended King, who said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's in Revelation twenty two thirteen. That in Him, all things hold together. Colossians 1, verse 17. So that when we look at anything, we see them through Christ. We are to be holy and blameless before Him. Ephesians 1, 3. And He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. Christ is revealing himself through his bride, the church. The church, as broken as it may seem at times, is where God's power is revealed. It's in the church. The church is where his grace is demonstrated, hopefully. And it's in the church where God's wisdom is shown. And some of you may be questioning this, like, are you sure about that? Because uh, the church doesn't look all that wise, and it doesn't seem to be all that gracious. I agree. Sometimes the church seems really, really messed up. I know this. I, I have nothing to boast about. The church has nothing to boast about. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteous and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord." God, who created all things. You just take a look at verse 9. He's in control. God has a plan, an eternal plan, and is not surprised at all as to the things happening in our universe, including the missteps of church. He's not surprised when the church misrepresents him. But it is through the church who God will work through. Take a look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is at work through his church. And the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are, are watching what is unfolding right before them. 
these cosmic powers, these angels in the heavenly places are, are witnessing God at work through his church, and this is just full of drama for them. They have seen Christ being sent, born, die, resurrect, and ascend right back to the right hand of God. They have seen the defeat of darkness, even though there's this not yet aspect of it, but they saw Christ crucified and resurrect from the tomb, and that God will use his church until the return of Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And they've been watching all of this, for the last 2,000 years, up to the very present, they've been watching God at work through the church. And they're waiting, just like we are, for the return of Christ. Peter wrote about this unfolding drama of redemption in 1 Peter. And in verse 12, he wrote about the angels. And it reads, things in which angels long to look. See, the angels can't even believe what they've already seen. And they can't believe what they are currently seeing. Jesus went down how? As one of those weaklings? And he went down poor? And he's going to do what? He's going to die? Even though he's completely innocent? And it's for them that are not innocent? He's going to pay for their sins? He's going to take their place? God's going to do all of that? And it was done. Jesus said, it is finished. And there he is, right back at the right hand of God. And they're still looking down from the heavens, looking at what the church is doing now. So what are we supposed to be doing, church? Back to verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. What is manifold wisdom? The word manifold is speaking of God's various, diverse wisdom of God. That it's not a one-dimensional thing. It is multi-dimensional. And God is, is weaving all of these wisdoms together to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. And the things that we think are wise when we work toward things like peace, whether it be in our homes or workplaces, church, country, world, all those are but a few strands of the wisdom of God that he is bringing together in himself. So can you now imagine the manifold wisdom of God? We might think that the Nobel Peace Prize winner is so wise. But 1 Corinthians chapter 125 tells us, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So when we think about peace, justice, knowledge, understanding, what we have individually as well as what we have collectively together as a world throughout time is just but a speck in the entire universe of these multi-strands and dimensions of God's manifold wisdom. Isaiah 40, starting in verse 21, it reads, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? 
Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. And so you imagine the angels watching all of this unfold before them. And they just are in amazement and wonderment at how God works because he's looking at Abraham as an example. And they must be wondering, you're making a covenant with that guy? He's a pagan. And, and who are you choosing? You're choosing Isaac and Jacob? Those aren't good choices, God. God has always used the foolish in the world to shame the wise, hasn't he? This is kind of how he's operated. And the church is no different. The world is not different. Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 31, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God's manifold wisdom. And the angels were up there looking down at Jesus Christ getting tortured, beaten, spit upon, ridiculed. And they must have been begging God, let us go. Let us take care of this. Send us enough of this. We're, we can make this all go away. And God said, no, we have a plan. And Jesus said in Matthew 26, starting in verse 53, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? God's manifold wisdom to save us. Colossians 2, starting in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It's God's manifold wisdom. In displaying to us his love while simultaneously executing justice. And do you realize how challenging that is to pull off? How wise you have to be to pull that off. Because how does one accomplish righteous justice on guilty people while showing them gracious love? Jesus. Manifold wisdom. He died in our place to fully express his love and to fully execute righteous justice. And so who shares this manifold wisdom of God? The church. 
the church. Foolish you and foolish me, the church. We are the final expression of the wisdom of God before the return of Christ. Through us, the church, the angels see God's purpose and plan manifest itself. And I know how the church is viewed today. I've read, I've heard, I've seen what is being written and what is being said, just like you have. And it just seems that we are growing more and more obsolete, more and more irrelevant. That people are leaving in droves, according to sociological studies in America, that the church is dying. But this isn't anything new. This has been happening throughout church history around the globe. The thing is, God does not have a plan B. The church is how God will accomplish his purpose and plan. So, whether you're for or against what has happened in our elections, it's the church that will bring about God's purpose and plans, not our country. Isaiah 40, verse 15, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Leaders of nations, they come and they go. And it doesn't mean that we are dismissive of what's going on. But the most important thing is not what's going on in those arenas. Just as the angels have witnessed throughout human history, what's most important, most concerning, what's most precious? The church. People of all nations uniting together in Christ for all the differences that we have with one another to become a new creation in Him. All of the diversity within race, culture, age, gender, ethnicity, all united in Christ. Just, just like those Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians who came together 2,000 years ago. So that we can show the world what heaven looks like. And this is actually something the world longs for. But it will never be able to deliver without Christ. Because it's going to be through the church. And this may be difficult for some of you to believe, but it is God's plan. It's God's plan today, right now, for eternal purpose. Take a look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus Christ is the key to eternity. There is no understanding of eternity without Christ. And the world doesn't make sense without Christ. Jesus said this, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It is his kingdom. And belonging in it requires repentance and belief in the gospel. This is all in accordance to the eternal purpose of God. All of the manifold wisdom of God throughout history is united to God's purpose. Behind all of the history, 
Everything that has happened in the world since creation is tied to the eternal purpose of God. All of history is pointing to Christ. All of it. Including your individual life. The life of your collective communities. The political movements of the world. All the events throughout time. What we are to do as believers in Christ is to keep our eyes on the King. To be the church. Even when it seems as though evil is prevailing against Christ. Throughout history, it has seemed that evil was prevailing against Christ. Just read the Bible. Read back to when Jesus was a baby boy. And there the angels are looking down at this and thinking like, whoa, what is happening? Herod just announced that he's going to kill all the baby boys in the region of Bethlehem. And Jesus is one of those babies. You fast forward when Jesus is in his 30s and Judas Iscariot is, is plotting and doing all these things behind Jesus' back to betray him and all the angels are just watching down in disbelief. Like, what is going on? God, Jesus loved that guy. Jesus loved all those guys and then now they're all abandoning him? And Jesus is crucified. And he's being embalmed and he's being placed in a tomb. And all of these things, part of God's plan, and he resurrected. We get to talk about that in nine weeks when Easter is here. I look forward to that. The church is who God uses. You look at Peter converting thousands of people. Saul, once that Pharisee who persecuted Christians becomes one, becomes a Christian, and he does amazing things for Christ. The church has always faced opposition, and and through it all, God is working to his eternal purpose, realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Psalm chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. See, God's God's at work. He's in control. God is working in his church to do the miraculous to do things that no one thought would be possible. And when people look at the church as it is, oftentimes they don't look at where we came from. They don't look at church history and what happened in the past. Because you don't always realize the incredible things God has done just by looking at today. Because you just kind of look at the sliver of today and the church and you're just wondering, man, those guys are irrelevant. What, What is going on with them? But if you look at us today from where we came from 20 years ago, even just our local church, it's miraculous. So many changed lives. So many people freed from addiction. So many relationships reconciled. So many prayers answered. So many people healed. Not because we are such a good church or we're such good people. We're so educated and gifted and capable. But it's because of the gospel. That God's purpose and grace through Christ Jesus has shown forth through his church. 
And we need to be the church. We need to be the church he has made us to be and to recognize the privilege we have being in Christ. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What's the privilege that we have in Christ? You and I can enter into the presence of God. We can walk in before a holy God. In Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access, verses 11 and 12. And we can present ourselves before Almighty God with confidence through our faith in Him, verse 12. That you and I are allowed to be in the presence of the Creator of the universe. Not because we know somebody or like somebody brought us in or, or because of what we did or what we didn't do, but it's through the one mediator, Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Direct access to God. Not because of what you've done or what because, of, because of what you haven't done. Not because of who you are or who you aren't. But because of what Christ has done and who Christ is. That there is no other way to God. Only Jesus Christ. That's the legacy of the church. That's what you are being a part of. And so will you be one of those Miracles that you give your life to Christ today. And I encourage you not to wait another day. That today is the day. And today is the day for you to act upon your faith. That you forgive the unforgivable person. That you love the unlovable person. And if you are having difficulty with that, that, that tension that is within you, that's the opportunity for miracles to take place. Those are the opportunities for the Lord to change your heart. Now, if you haven't, had, if you haven't believed Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, you can do that today. You can believe that today. And believe what Jesus Christ says and what he has done for you. That he gives you access to God. Verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul was in jail because of what he was doing for the Gentiles. His suffering was because of his preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. But what Paul suffered was for their glory. It was for them. Suffering and glory. Now some of you might not be too enthusiastic to hear about this. But suffering and glory, they often go hand in hand. Romans 8, chapter 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction, 
suffering. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. One more about this coupling of suffering and glory found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Therefore I endure everything, suffering, for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Suffering is not pleasant. But it's worth it when we love people, value people for their glory. Because ask yourself, wouldn't you suffer for someone you loved dearly, someone you treasured so immensely? Many of you parents suffer. Suffer for the glory of your children. Many of you spouses do the same thing. Many of you children do this for your parents, your friends, your neighbors. That you suffer for others' glory. And God's eternal purpose, it doesn't stop no matter what. Not even in our suffering. Because there are others that are needing the glory. God's eternal purpose is bigger than our circumstances. And it's not that God doesn't care. It's that there are many others who participate in glory in our suffering. That our suffering isn't purposeless. So something to reflect on. What is God showing you? Who is part of your suffering story so that they may be glorified? They may experience glory. We are the church. There is no plan B. We are to keep our eyes on the King, Christ Jesus. And we know that God's eternal plan and purpose will come to pass just as all the cosmic power does and all the angels looking down. They all know this already. Nothing will stop it. People have tried to stop it for years and years and years, whether they be the Herods or the Caiaphases or Pilate or whoever else, whoever's tried to stomp out Christianity and persecute the church, Paul himself. Nothing will stop it. God is in control. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, when we doubt, I ask God that you would help us to remember your promises, to help us to see history, the Bible, in light of what the angels have seen. They've seen it all. They know the outcome. They're waiting for your return. Lord, help us to see through those lenses. Help us to recognize that you are indeed in control. And help us, Lord, to focus on you. I pray, Lord, that you would unite us in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, let's... Uh,
bring those out and share communion with each other. Let's take the bread first. Symbolizing the body of Christ. The body of Christ that was broken for us. The eternal plan of all-knowing God to send his son to pay for our sins. Let's take this in remembrance of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us in setting us free from the bondage of sin. Let's share from the fruit of the vine. The blood of Christ shed for us. We take this in remembrance of what Christ has done and also until his return, which he has promised to us. In Jesus' name. Lord, we ask for your empowerment to your church to do as you have called us to. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to show the world who you are, even in our foolish, weak states, that you still have chosen to work through us. So may your glory go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.